Grab your Bibles and find Genesis chapter 40, your smartphone or whatever. And uh, I'm an advocate for a, for a, a plug into our smartphone Bible apps that sound like pages turning when we're, uh, when we're looking for it. That's a preacher deal, you know, because you can stand up here and you used to be able to collectively when everybody had Bibles, you could stand up here and people be flipping pages and you could hear when it stopped and that's when you knew to read. So I'll give you a minute to find it. But, uh, but anyway, today I want to talk to you about your dreams about your dreams. And specifically, I want to talk to you about a key to making your dreams accelerate. You see, our worldview is from a very limited reality. We don't see things the way they really are. And if we think that we see things the way that they really are, we'll live a very small life. And here's why. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And when I think about things that are beyond my ability to comprehend, I think I must be dreaming, especially when it comes to God because God is always attempting to take us to those things that are above and beyond all that we could ask or think, that are beyond our capability to comprehend, that are actually more beautiful, more lovely, there's more blessing and goodness in them than we could ever conceive ourselves. Have you ever had one of those moments where, you know, like God speaks to you and tells you something, and when that thing comes to pass, it, you actually get there and it's better than you expected? It's by you couldn't have never you could have never dreamed that it would be that absolute wonderful as it is. Have you ever had that? If you haven't, then you need to get ready for that because that's the God that we're connected to. That's the Savior that we're talking about. Is that one who is taking us to the place that's beyond our own intellect, beyond what we could even verbalize? He's always doing that. He'll take what we have and he'll say, oh, I've got something so much better for you. It's just unbelievable. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm interested in that. Dreams, those, dreams are those divine insights from God. They cause us to, to, they encourage us that there's something better. They encourage us to risk and to do great things. And any time that I speak to a group of believers about dreams, I always want to qualify what dream, you know, I always have a qualifier that I overlay over it. There's one single qualifier that you can overlay over your dreams to determine if they're from God or not. Because, you know, some of us Christians have known to be goofy. <laughs> How many of you have been around those? I have. And the, and the qualifier is this. Every dream that is from the Lord is about the family. Every dream that is from the Lord is about the family. Now, how can I say that? Well, because that's his dream. That's his dream. That's the theme of the Bible. If you look at the Bible, the Bible is a book, and the Bible has a theme from start to finish. What is it? God's desire to be a father with a family. You walk outside today and you enjoy the sunshine, you look at the beautiful blue sky, you see all the trees, you enjoy the atmosphere. What's that all about? God's desire to be a father with a family. He did all that 
so that he could have a relationship with you. So every dream that we have that's from the Lord, we can qualify it if it, if it is about the family. And whenever I think about dreams, I always think about the dreamer, Joseph. Joseph had this dream, and his dream seemed to be inactive. But one day, something happened in Joseph's life, and it caused his dreams to suddenly and rapidly accelerate. And that's what I want to look at. Let's look at Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and it says this. And they replied, We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And whenever we read the Bible, we don't really catch all the emotion in a moment. But I just want to stop here and just kind of interject a little bit of emotion into this story. So here's Joseph. He's had this dream. This dream has brought him nothing but problems. From the moment it arrived, it caused him to be misunderstood by his father. It caused his brothers to hate him and to conspire to kill him and to sell him into slavery. It's caused him to be misunderstood by his intentions with his boss's wife. And now he finds himself in prison. Everything about his dream was inconvenient. It was painful. And now he's locked up at this story in prison. He's an inmate in prison. And these guys, these two guys in prison have a dream. It wasn't convenient emotionally for Joseph to do what he did. But it was a pivotal moment in his life when he did it. And what was so remarkable is that he had all of this pain invoked by his dream. And yet he found the strength inside of him when these men came to him and said, we had these dreams last night, but nobody can interpret it. And he said, go ahead and tell me about your dreams. It's a key to us. It was a key to Joseph. From that moment on, his dreams suddenly and rapidly accelerated. Why? Here's the principle, point number one. Our dreams accelerate when we become interested in the dreams of other people. Our dreams accelerate when we become interested in the dreams of other people. It's a kingdom principle that Jesus demonstrated to us. He became interested in our dreams, even though it was inconvenient, even though it was cost him, even though it was painful. He became interested in our dreams, and look at the multiplication that has happened. Billions and billions of people entering into relationship, freed from sin, from the Father. It's a key focus for us as kingdom people. We must always be about assisting other people in finding and fulfilling their dreams. This is the main purpose of ministry, is to help people fulfill their God-given dreams. Point number two, what are the dreams of other people? What are other people's dreams? 
And here it is. We all have one central key dream that drives us, whether we like to admit it or not. And here it is. We all desire to experience the love of the family. We all desire to experience the love of the family. People may not know that this is their dream, but this is their dream. All of the emotional heartache and heartbreak that comes from life all comes out of the pursuit of the desire to be fulfilled that we could experience the reality of a loving father that loves us without dysfunction. The Bible says he loves us in a way that is perfect. Everybody has that dream. They may not know it, know how to function in it or find it, but that's our place as believers to introduce or to demonstrate to them what it looks like. That's what Jesus did for us. So when people look to us to interpret their dreams, how can we assist them in experiencing the love of the family? How do we become interested in the dreams of other people? Point number three. How do we become interested in the dreams of other people? Well, we use our gift. We use our gift. Proverbs 18, 16. I'm going to read this out of several translations. Proverbs 18, 16. It says this. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. New King James. New Living says, Giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. The NIV says, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Now, I've, I've heard this scripture forever in you know, my Christian life. This, this December 19th, Sherry and I will, be, will celebrate 40 years of consecutive marriage and uh, uninterrupted marriage. We, we were married and divorced, but... Uh, and then got remarried, but it's also our 40th anniversary of following Jesus. And I've heard these verses forever. And I always assumed that the gift here that they were talking about were our abilities. And I, you know, and I get that. I understand that. You know, I'm a guitar player, so my, my music opens up doors. It creates opportunities. It brings me into the presence of great people. And, and I, so I get that. But I started to study this passage of Scripture a little bit farther. And what I found was this, that, that the definition of the word gift here, it's simply defined like this, that which we presently have to give away, that which you and I presently have to give away. You see, we have something in our life that is of great value, and when we give that away, it does something. It opens up doors. You know, and I'm thinking about my garage right now. You know, because I got all kinds of stuff in there that I need to give away. And it would open up a door, you know, create an opportunity to do all these things. And, and so we have all of these things in our lives right now. You have them. I have them. They're all distinctly unique to each one of us. They're different. They're not the same. It's not some kind of program that we have. It's some kind of lifestyle that we live. 
We need to be living the lifestyle of giving because that's what God gave. That's what God did for us. That's what John 3.16 teaches us, that God so loved the world that he gave. And that giving then opened up this great opportunity for him to express the reality of his love and the joys of the kingdom. And you and I are uniquely equipped with something in our life right now that will open a door, a gift that we can give that will open the door. The problem that we have with our gifts is this. We always never see them as they really are. We always have a tendency to devalue our gifts. We have this tendency to judge our own gift and say, nobody really would want that. It's not of any value. It has no consequence. It's not anything that I should be proud to give away. And the Bible tells us that we shouldn't judge and that we cannot know our, you know, the realities of those things, that we should just leave it alone. And when we devalue our gifts, it works like this. That which you have that may be of little or no value to you might be of great value to someone else. It might just be the key, the pivotal key that unlocks the door to somebody's heart and lets you have what the Bible says is great influence. And this is one of the joyful things about being in the kingdom. If you're a believer and you're not sharing your life with people that don't believe like you believe, then you're missing part of the great joy of the kingdom. Not with necessarily with an agenda or a program to take them through, but just being there doing life with people that don't believe like we believe. It's one of the most incredible experiences and most joyful experience as a believer that we can have. So we have a gift. Say, I have a gift. And when we give that gift, it opens doors, it creates opportunity, it gives us influence, it gives us a platform to stand before great people. But our problem is, is that we judge our gift as insignificant when it's really not. There, you know, you have talent, you have abilities, you have, you have things in your life that God wants to use greatly in somebody else's life, and it might just be a seed but it might be a harvest. I shared this message a few months ago in a church where I was speaking, and a few weeks later, I got an email from a lady, and she started telling me a story. And the story was this. She said, you know, I heard your message at the conference, and, and I thought about it, and then one of my neighbors who just moved into our neighborhood from, they immigrated here from another country, another culture, another religion. And I'd heard that the lady that lived there, that her mother had passed away. And she said, I wanted to do something to express my condolences. And I wanted to give her something, but I couldn't think of anything that I felt was significant enough to express my condolences. And she said, and then I remembered a point in your message where you said that we shouldn't devalue our gifts. She said, all I knew that I could do for her was to bake her a loaf of bread. And so she baked a loaf of bread. 
And she took it down to her neighbor's house, and she knocked on the door, and the lady came to the door, and she expressed her condolences. And she said, you know, I have a gift for you. It's not much, but I, it was what I, could, what I could give. And I baked you a loaf of bread, and she handed it to the lady. And the lady just started weeping. And when she gained her composure, she said to the, to the lady, she said, this loaf of bread reminds me of my mother and one regret my she said my mom my mom used to bake bread all the time can't you smell bad bread bacon right now she used to bake bread all the time and the one regret that I have in her passing is that she never taught me how to bake bread and the lady simply said may I teach you how to bake bread it was a gift it didn't seem significant but it opened up a door, it opened up an opportunity for someone to step in and say, just let me show you what the Father is like. Let me show you what that's like. There's another lady, she was, she had a gift to give, and uh, it was a, she had a gift to give and that she had one available seat in an old beat-up Ford station wagon. And so now for all the young people, I have to explain what a station wagon is, right? <laughs> that was what Clark Griswold drove in those vacation movies, okay? You got that long green wood grain, all that stuff. And she had, she had an available seat in her beat-up old station wagon. And you know what she did? She found somebody and asked them to take a ride in their station wagon and to go to church. And they accepted and they went to church. And one Sunday morning, so single mom, and so on one Sunday morning, she invited the single mom, there was another available seat, and she invited her hungover, drunk from the night before, ex-husband, to ride to church with them in the beat-up old station wagon. They put him in the back, in that back seat that faced out the back window, and they brought him to church. It was an insignificant gift that they had to give that it had been real easy to devalue, it had been real easy to say, nobody wants to ride in this car with my five screaming kids and go to church. But... I was that hungover drunk guy in the back of that station wagon and they took me to church and that's where I said, I want to know what the father, who the father is. I want to know this father. And it's an incredible thing, but if we devalue our gift, we'll never see the impact of that. So my teaching this morning is this, number one, our dreams accelerate when we become interested in the dreams of other people. You know, in America, we need to be, you know, we're people that it's real easy for us to just get focused on our stuff. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, but I'm saying that we need to always be sowing seed. And if we can't find time in our schedule to be involved in other people's lives, even it doesn't have to be much, but even, you know, even if it's small, then, we're, then we have a problem. 
we cause our own dreams to come to a halt because God is interested in us sowing into other people and taking his love to other people. So number one, our dreams accelerate when we become interested in the dreams of other people. Number two, what are the dreams of other people? They desire to experience the love of the family. They desire to feel what you feel. They desire to, to, to experience the reality of a father that loves and accepts them, that will comfort them, that will teach them, that will make them righteous, that will accept them the way they are, that will take them from place to place, that will do life with them. They desire all of that. It's wired into our DNA. It's part of the fabric of the dirt and the breath that God breathed into each one of us. Point number three, how do we influence, how do we be interested in other people's dreams? We use our gifts. We use our gifts. What's our gift? That which we presently have to give away. And that looks different for everybody. But it's so powerful because the Bible says with assurance, you do this, it's going to open doors. It's going to create influence. It's going to create a platform for me, for you. Because this is all about family, in order to really experience the love of the Father, just like in any other family, we have to be born into this family. You say, well, how does that work? Well, it's not anything that you can figure out with your mind. It's only something you can experience with your heart. And Jesus said it like this. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And when I think about the realities of what that means, it's like, wow, born again. You mean I get, a, I get an opportunity to be different, to be, have a different genetic, to have a different nature, to be born into a different family, to have all the benefits that comes from that? And the answer to that is yes. I mean, when we're born again, the Bible says that there's just this radical thing that happens. It says that when we're born again, and we're born again by faith. We're born again by faith. It's, and it's something that each of us have the capacity to experience because God gave us all that capacity. And when we're born again, the Bible says that something so radical happens inside of us. And I don't know how it happens. I mean, I can't understand it with my mind. I can only trust by faith that what the Bible, what the Word of God tells me is true. The Bible says that when we're born again, that God reaches inside of us and he takes our heart. And he describes that heart as stony, as hard, as indifferent. And he takes it out and he gives us a new heart. And this heart is pliable and teachable. And this heart is, is different than our old heart in that it has his law written on it. It has his commandments written on it. And it becomes part of the fabric of every time that our heart beats, that it, it's sending out messages and signals to the rest of our body, convincing us of the realities that the word of God is true in our lives. The Bible tells us that not only does he give us a new heart, that he gives us a new nature. That he gives us a new genetic. And genetics are so powerful. And when he does that, we have this nature that, that causes us automatically to gravitate or to be bent towards those things that are his commands. 
those things that are like him. It's, it's just a genetic fact. I know this personally firsthand because, and I don't have time to go into all this story. Maybe sometime uh, we can come and tell this story to you in, in its entirety. But five years ago in 2011, I met my daughter Jessica for the very first time when she was 38 years old. And it was just an absolutely mind-blowing experience. There's a video on my YouTube channel of her and I telling this story together. But we met, and I can't go into all the circumstances and the details, but we met for the very first time. And she was 38 years old. And the crazy thing about it is, is that she's like me. And, I mean, she looks like me, except more beautiful. And, and it was crazy, you know. It was like, wow, she's got my nature. She has my attributes. She has my goofy personality. And she goes, my whole life, I've had this goofy personality, and I couldn't figure out why, and it's your fault. It's your fault. I tell people that, that uh, whenever I meet someone, I hardly ever will use words like hi or hello in a greeting because I'm too cool for that, you know? It's like, so I'll do something like, hey. And so the first time I met Jessica, I'd never heard a word out of her mouth. I'd never heard her voice or seen her smile. And we met in the parking lot of a restaurant in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I walked up to her, and I was determined to not speak because I wanted to hear her first word. And she looks at me, and she goes, hey. <laughs> she said, hey, I'm a hugger. But she's just like me. I didn't have any influence in her life. It was something that was born on the inside of and when we're born again, we get that nature from God, that family genetic, that thing that comes into us that just by default, we have this longing and this desire to connect and to know and to understand all, you know, one of the popular things now is to do your ancestry. Anybody done that in here, done all that? I'm actually like the 37th great grandson of of William the Great King of England. So or William the Conqueror, that's what it was, William the Conqueror. So one of those guys. I don't know. I don't have a castle yet, so I'm still waiting on that. But to be born again, I, I'll get back on track here. To be born again. It's the most remarkable experience that a human can ever have. To know and to connect to a father that loves us in such a way that is perfect. To know and to have a relationship with an older brother who was willing to sacrifice his life so that you could know and experience fully every part of the family that is yours by faith. To have the guilt and shame of all of our sin of every place where we fall short and miss the mark that we know we're wrong in, 
to have every hint of that guilt to be erased and to be washed away and to be forgiven. It's the most wonderful experience because it's the most wonderful family that there is. And I don't know everybody here, so I just wanted to conclude with this and say, have you been born again? And maybe just say this, maybe you're not sure if you've been born again. Listen, this is such a radical experience that you can be sure, you can know. As I said, it's by faith. What does that mean? Well, faith is simply this. It's simply trust. It's simply trust. Trust in what? Trust in something that's bigger than your own mind, bigger than your own ability, bigger than what you can conceive, bigger than you could ask or think. Trust in the, in the reality of that God's word is true. It's been proven throughout history. It's been proven to be infallible. It's been proven prophetically. And it's worthy of our trust. And when the Bible says that you must be born again, it means that we must be born again. And the experience that comes from that, as I've described, is so great. And I can never do it, I can never do it justice because it's greater than I could describe, because it's greater than our minds. But if you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I've not been born again or I'm not sure, I want to give you a chance to express your trust to God. So could we do this out of disrespect for each other and reverence for God? Could we bow our heads and close our eyes? If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I'm not born again, but I want to be. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I don't know if I'm born again. And in just a minute, I'm just going to ask, the, ask those two questions again, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and we're just going to pray together, and you're going to express your faith, your trust towards God. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I'm not born again, or Jimmy, I'm not sure if I'm born again, then right now I want you to lift your hand, and we're just going to pray together, and we're just going to... Express together your faith towards God. All right, all hearts are at peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be involved in this crazy, wonderful family. Lord, we thank you so much that we have dreams in our heart that propel us and excite us, that give us a sense of adventure and risk, and they're from you. Lord, I pray for everyone here today that when they walk out of here, Lord, that they would be a doer of the word, that they would find a gift, that they would give a gift, and Lord, that they would experience the reality of the open door that comes from that gift. And God, I pray that it would cause a great number of people to come into this family, to know you, to experience you, and to just experience the blessing that comes from the family of God. Lord, I thank you that we all have this ability. Let us all be diligent in giving our gift. In Jesus' name, amen.